Thank you, Ken, and good morning, everyone. And my name's Andrew. I'm the Senior Minister at St Mark's. It's good to be looking at that passage today. And we can, as you might know, we're continuing our series looking at this poem, The Song of Songs, today in Chapter 7. Now, one of my favourite day trips since we moved to Melbourne a number of years ago has been to go out to the countryside to visit wineries, and many of you might enjoy the same. Um, those places tend to me to be endlessly appealing and they communicate to us a sense of well-being and the enjoyment of life. So um, I mention this today because I think the reading today in the words of the woman that we had sounds a lot to me like a tourism ad for the Yarra Valley <laughs> or the Barossa or something like that. You know, you might come away, come away. Let's go to the villages and the vineyards, walk among the fruit trees and sample all the delicious local produce. So that's what she's saying. And this is the kind of vision that's held out by tourism operators, isn't it, as to couples who might have a getaway together in the wine region. All the enjoyable things that you can imagine are here in one place, so come. And this is what the woman is suggesting to her lover in this passage from the Song of Songs, that they get away together on a break and they sample all the good things that the countryside has to offer. And I think that in some way this passage we're looking at today might be what we call a honeymoon picture for this couple. Now in our culture we know the honeymoon is a time, uh, it's a custom we have for newlyweds that to have a period after their wedding of complete rest and enjoyment, to get away from normal life and just enjoy each other in beautiful places and beautiful experiences. Uh, Google tells me the word honeymoon comes from a, the European custom of giving the new couple a supply of honey mead that was sufficient to last them for a month. So I don't know why that ever stopped, because I would be fantastic. <laughs> uh, so very much like a kind of modern winery tour, the honeymoon. So the honeymoon idea is that a relationship like marriage needs to be launched on a foundation of delight and joy before we get down to the ordinary day-to-day -day life that we live together. Now, as we've looked at the Song of Songs, um, we've thought about and discussed these poems and these stories in them as a picture for us in the Bible of the possibilities of our relationship with God. The ex these experiences of love that it talks about are images that give us a way of understanding what it might mean to experience for ourselves God's love and his presence in our lives. And I think this honeymoon picture, or this picture of a time of delight and pleasure in this couple's life, is one of those pictures. Now, honestly, I think Christians have often had a problem with pleasure, or how we think about it and talk about it. Um, probably if you ask the average person in the community, are Christians people who really know how to enjoy life? Um, would not think so. Um, particularly when I was young and I was at university, it appeared to me at times that all anyone ever knew about Christianity or were interested in talking about was whether you were allowed to drink or whether you were allowed to have sex before marriage. And not much else was of interest <laughs> in that conversation. Um, of course, of course, we, know, we all know that the pursuit of pleasure can be damaging for people and leads to addictions and all sorts of problems. But if you put that legitimate concern aside for one moment, there is a sense, I think, for many of us that sometimes our faith and our spirituality creates an atmosphere that is hostile to enjoying the pleasures of life. And I want to just think why that might be. I think there are some influential movements in Christian history that have nurtured this feeling in various ways. So um, the monastic movement in the early church in particular valued and still does the, the idea of denying 
worldly enjoyment in order to pursue the kingdom of God more fully. And uh, another way, after the Reformation period in the Middle Ages, there emerged the idea of what they called the Protestant work ethic. This is the belief that the way that you demonstrate your salvation and election by God is by living an industrious, prosperous and disciplined life. And you may have heard of the movement called the Puritans. They're a Christian movement concerned with holiness and purity of life. And they've become a kind of slogan or meme even for a kind of grim view of the Christian faith. Um, Puritanism has been jokingly defined as the terrible fear that somewhere someone might be enjoying themselves. You know. <laughs> Um, so the upshot of this is that Christians often pick up the feeling that enjoyment or pleasure has a touch of sinfulness or indulgence to it. Um, and this translates in every term, everyday terms into our wider culture as the idea that there are things that you do, like eating chocolates perhaps or other treats, as many mothers may have had today, that is a guilty pleasure. Have you ever heard the expression, a guilty pleasure? What does that mean? Often we find it hard to enjoy something without feeling guilt about what it does to us, to our body or to our soul. And if we do enjoy something enjoyable, then we go, oh, I need to now work it off. <laughs> Don't you? I, ex I need to exercise, I need to fast, I need to repent. So guilty pleasures. So we do have a problem with pleasure at times. Um, but I think the Song of Songs today provides us with a different view to that, which is the way in which God himself is the creator of pleasures and indeed the greatest fan of people enjoying themselves. And when we actually look at the world, I think the amount of opportunities to experience joy in God, in what God has made, are limitless. And in fact, they're so abundant in everyday life that it can be overwhelming at times and we might forget. So the woman we read in the Song of Songs, she's inviting her lover then into this world of pleasures. Of course, it's a sexual thing for them too, but it just as much in this passage, it's sensual, it's emotional, the enjoyment of everything that life has to offer, the good things like food, wine, the beautiful countryside and all its joys. She says to him, at our door is every delicacy, both new and old. And it's all there for them to enjoy, put there by their creator in his goodness. So I think as Christians, we need to understand our God is a God of pleasures, despite the impression that we might give. C.S. Lewis, who you may know of, uh, the Narnia author, wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and they're letters written as though from a senior devil to a junior devil, and he talks about how to tempt people away from their faith. And, and in one part, this devil, Screwtape, complains about this fact that God has so many pleasures to throw at people to get them to understand that he loves them. So he writes to his um, protege, God of God, he's a hedonist at heart. All these fasts and vigils and stakes and crosses are only a facade or only like foam on the seashore. Out at sea, out in his sea, there is pleasure and more pleasure. He makes no secret of it. At his, he says, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. God has a bourgeois mind. He has filled his world full of pleasures. There are things for humans to do all day long without him minding in the least. Sleeping, washing, eating, drinking, making love, praying, playing, working. Everything has to be twisted before it's of any use to us. We fight under cruel disadvantages and nothing is naturally on our side. So one of the challenges of the Christian life then is, I think, for us to learn to enjoy things properly. 
and to experience the pleasures that God gives in a healthy way and in a rich way that is intended. And the problem is, of course, we often don't. You know? So instead of using pleasures to enjoy ourselves, to give thanks to God, we might use them to console ourselves or to fill up emptiness, which is why people get addicted to things, I think. And we also at times focus on a very narrow range of pleasures when we think of what pleasures are, things to do with physical sensations like eating and drinking. But the Song of Songs talks about this great idea. It talks about every delicacy, new and old. It's a very enticing phrase to me. What does she mean? I think what, I think what in, from our point of view as we read this, you understand there is a range of pleasures, I think, of the heart, of the mind and the spirit that God offers those people who seek him and draw near to his presence. And so the goal of enjoying things properly is to enjoy them with thanks and a joyful heart, a pure heart. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul argues to the Christians in Corinth that even meat that has been offered to idols can be enjoyed by Christians if it's done in a spirit of thankfulness to God who gave it to us. Titus also in 1, 15, verse 1, 15, chapter 115 says, To the pure in heart, all things are pure. If God is making us like him and if we're in Christ, then the range of legitimate pleasures available to us should increase, not diminish. I think that's the message of the Song of Songs. So I want to give you today one model, I think, that describes these different pleasures or the different ways that people can enjoy and experience God. There are, I think, a range of ways that are different depending on the way God has made us. And also I want to show you a model. This is from a book called Sacred Pathways. They did research into the different ways that people report experiencing God's presence in their lives and the pleasures that he brings. And I've mentioned this in some of my seminars or teaching over here, here in the last few years. And these uh, authors identified nine different ways at least that people might experience joy in God's presence. And as I briefly go through them, I want to just hear what is there things that are true for you here? And there might be more than one. So I just want to talk to you about some of the different labels or categories they give of people's experience of God. So the first is what they call the naturalist. And so they find there are people who really experience God very strongly when they're out in nature, being out in creation and among animals and plants and all those sorts of things. So if you're someone who finds that going out for a walk in the bush is a great way for you to connect with God, I think this is, might be you. And I know there's a lot of people in this congregation for whom that's the case. The second kind of people that they talk about are those they call the sensate. And these are people who are ex inspired by tangible experiences of beauty and things that touch the five senses that God has given us. So beautiful art or music, smells, tastes, food and these sorts of things. They experience God through those pleasures, connects them with God strongly. The third they identify are people called traditionalists, and these are the people who really enjoy rituals, symbols, traditional practices, liturgies, holy communion, all the things that make them feel connected with church history and the concrete history of the faith. And these people, I think, may have been glued to the screen last week for the whole seven hours or whatever of the coronation of King Charles. It was the best thing ever. Yes, it was like an orgy. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. Oh, now it's going out. They were asking me the other day, have you ever said anything in, you know, by mistake in a sermon? And I said, yeah, I did say that. Okay. The coronation service, a dignified event of joy in the traditionalist way. I'll scrub that for later when I say that. Okay. Now... Oh, no, I've got to get back now. Okay, the fourth kind that they talk about are activists. So these are people who experience closeness with God 
as they work to do something that advances a cause of justice or mission in the world, making the world better, you know, so and, they, and as they do these with others to build the church and society, they experience a great sense of joy. So these are people who, that's a great pleasure to them. The fifth kind that they identify are they called the ascetics. Okay, these are people who experience, asceticism means any form of uh, spiritual discipline and restraint. So, so often there are people who enjoy solitude, to be with God in quiet and tranquility, and they find a simple way of living, actually giving up ordinary forms of pleasure, perhaps you know, being on a retreat for the busyness of the world and living simply. That actually brings them back to God and actually gives them a great sense of joy in his presence. The sixth group are called caregivers. These are people who draw near to God when they care for and serve others, and they find concrete ways to help people. It gives them spiritual energy and joy. And the seventh are people they call the enthusiasts, and these are people who experience a great deal of joy in celebration, enthusiastic worship, so really soaking up their time with God. They love singing and dancing and all the rest. The eighth are people who are contemplative, and these are people who find times of devotion and meditation, sitting in the presence of God, mystical experiences, private and intimate prayer times, very meaningful for them, the joy of God's presence. And finally, we have the intellectuals, and these people enjoy engaging with ideas about God, learning, studying the Bible, reading theology, growing deeper into understanding, and a great deal of pleasure from that. Now, that's just one model of how this might work, but I think it puts out for us a couple of important ideas for us today as we think about what the Song of Songs is trying to say here. Firstly, I think it's teaching us that the range and breadth of experiences that can lead us to God, if our heart is open and pure before him, is unending and amazing. There is, this is every part of life that can be a source of joy and pleasure in our experience of God. Every delicacy, new and old. Our experience of God is not to be limited just to a particular way or a small range of things that are acceptable. Every good experience in the world can be a channel for us to know God better and to give thanks and experience his presence. One of the problems we sometimes have is our local churches can get dominated by one or two types of spiritual experience. And if we think that's all that our spiritual life is, it can feel a bit dry. Not, you know, not everyone loves singing songs in church, they, like the enthusiasts might. Not all of us love listening to sermons, though we may do those things because we come to worship and to learn, and that's great. But the invitation, I think, is for us to broaden our experiences that we seek out together. Where is God and his joy to be found? And I think the second, that's the first thing, so like, look, seeking out every delicacy. The second thing is to learn not to judge other people who have different tastes than us who experience God in different ways. As I read through that list of spiritual styles, some of them might have seemed to you almost ungodly, you know, or just unusual. Like, why would you want to run away and spend time in solitude up in the mountains? Aren't we called to be in community? Well, yes. Can't intellectual focus draw us away from a simple faith in God? Well, sometimes, but not for all. And maybe the, maybe the idea of tradition... And all that side of things gives you the creeps a little. You didn't, you don't like that. Well, it does for some. Um, the point is that God has made us all differently, and all of us are capable of meeting Him and enjoying His presence in a way that is meaningful for us, in the way that He's made us. So today, I want us to hear that the the invitation that is in the Song of Songs for this woman: "Come and enjoy these things with me." That's the same thing that God says to us. 
It's an invitation God's making us, all of us, to come to with him and experience the delights of his presence in the world in the many, many ways that that is available. You know, Jesus was not someone who was known for discouraging people for, from enjoying themselves. He got in trouble a lot for too much enjoyment. The religious leaders thought he was a bit over the top. Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God as being like a big feast that God is putting on, and there's so many different things. So let me read to you from Luke chapter 14, verse 15 to 24. It says, When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, now, for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five oak of yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. And then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. And I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. What he's saying is God is inviting people into his banquet of the kingdom to experience his presence and his fullness. And a lot of us say no for various reasons. There are always a lot of things that might make us not take up that invitation. And Jesus points out that the idea of the busyness of life and achievement can make it hard to stop and hear God's invitation. And so we might miss out on exploring those things which are entirely good and for our good and for our enjoyment. It's a banquet God is inviting us to. It's not a concentration camp. So the world is full of opportunities to experience God in natural, wholesome, straightforward ways in which there are no shame. So I encourage you to say yes to those things and to reflect on where is God particularly present to you at the moment and where is he inviting you to experience his joy? What are the pleasures that he has in store for you today? So let's reflect on that and pray that he would show them to us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have opened up a world to us where your joy is abundant and that there are so many ways we can meet you. In fact, it is hard to avoid meeting you in the daily life that we live. We pray that the experience of pleasure and your joy would be open in our hearts and we would see what you have in store for us, every delicacy, new and old. And I pray that all those here today would be touched by that presence and that joy in a new way. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.